Hello, welcome to Songs in the Key of, a podcast about songs. These might be old songs, new songs or middle-aged songs, anything that takes my fancy really. Or, in the case of this episode, anything that takes somebody else's fancy. That somebody else being M.G. Balter, a singer-songwriter from Southend-on-Sea who has, this year, released a truly intricately beautiful album full of intimate thumbnail sketches of life in his hometown. The album's called Clifftown and we talk about it a fair bit during the course of the conversation. This interview was an absolute treat. Matt is the kind of chap you could happily chat with for hours on end about music and all kinds of other things. And the music he has chosen, 10 songs that have been demanding his attention of late, is out of this world. So, sit back and enjoy. Okay, so uh, with me now is Matt, uh, M.G. Balter. Um, and we're going to go through uh, 10 songs that have been rattling around uh, his brain of late. Uh, before we do that, though, um, Matt, you've uh, you've released your album Clifftown this year and you're currently touring it, aren't you? Um, I am. Um, what's the experience been like for you uh, releasing this album and then, you know, doing gigs as people step out of um the pandemic and lockdowns and, and all of that how how's that experience been for you yeah it's been it's been um it's been a strange experience if i'm honest uh yeah. my first gigs back were in may and july i think which were you could still do gigs but things were very restricted at that time yeah and then slowly opened up and we had a festival season so you were outside and yeah that's that a little bit more normal um, it's been okay. Um, I think people across the country, places I've been, are still being careful. Um, people are still wearing masks and and you know taking care. Um, and I'm you know just before we started recording, I say I'm, I'm very mindful of you know m- me being a spreader and and being careful. But yeah. it's also been absolutely amazing, you know, to play shows in front of people again. And you know, as a performer. Yeah. It's so important to have a reaction, good or bad. It's really <laughs> a lot of those online uh, shows. I only did a few. You, you really couldn't tell whether people were enjoying it. You know, it's very. It was a, that was in itself a very lonesome, isolating experience. So it's lovely to be in a real room, Stephen, talking to yeah. real people, playing to real people. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I I um, watched some sort of online gigs and that it was all right that the novelty was a bit fun to start off with and then you thought this really isn't what we want is it (laughs) it's not nowhere near the same (laughs) i think the one thing that leaves that's left you know the image that's left is that people were watching and obviously in their living rooms and bedrooms and they're they're obviously their personal private spaces and i would be performing and you could see people on the screen you know with the tv on or you know stroking their cat or making a cup of tea and that was a real um i loved it but it was also really uh, strange because you don't normally <laughs> see people sort of talking to their wife on the sofa you know while you're playing <laughs> yeah it was a strange experience all round mm. 
yeah okay well uh, i want to ask you a bit more about your your musical life in in general um as we go through but uh, let's start off with listening uh talking a bit about the first song that you've chosen which is uh bonnie light horseman and uh, deep in love um there's a beautiful rich text to this to the song um uh, really tender and deep and heartfelt and and utterly gorgeous how how did you come by it because i've never heard of bonnie light horseman at all so. yeah it's, it's um yeah it's an interesting one to start with and i think when you when you approach me you said just what are you listening to at the moment what's you know floating your yeah mind? and and that particular album but the bonnie light horseman is is something that was introduced to me actually by my producer, the guy that produced my last album, Clifftown. Um, I was round his house uh, up in Sheffield, and he said, "Oh, have you heard this?" And uh, it's a it's a kind of a super group, and um, it's Anias Mitchell, who is a, a famous American folk singer, um, mm -hmm. and there are two chaps. One's from a band I think called the Fruit Bats, and another guy's a, a producer who produces um, a, lots of other bands, and. Um, he played that record to me and I just like you say, the texture of that whole album is just beautiful. Uh, you know, and there's some lovely instrumentation on it. Um, uh, bon Eva is on it as well. So you've got yeah. sort of modern electronica stuff on it. Mm. And this track is just a beautiful airy song and with a lovely yeah. chorus. And I thought, well, what a, what a great song, an earworm that's, that's sort of been on my mind for, for a good few months. Yeah. Okay. Great. Yeah. 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 They can definitely tell that there's a bon Boniver, um, sort of has has left his mark on that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So let's hear a bit of um, "Deep in Love" by Bonnie Light Horseman. Down in the valley, the first of May, gathering flowers, both red. Uh, a little bit of Bonnie Light Horseman. Um, let's talk about a bit a, a bit about your your musical history. What was um, your experience of music growing up? Um, was there like someone who introduced you to a bunch of great records, or did you have to discover it for yourself, or, or what what happened? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, I think if I was honest, I, I don't I don't come from a musical family. I don't. My parents weren't massively into music. Um, my dad had a lot of very old sort of Johnny Mathis records and stuff, which didn't ever, ever speak to me and, and you know, <laughs> not offend anyone listening, but st still don't really, if I'm honest. But um, I, I think I got into music really when I was about 10, 11, a, a friend of mine at school, his brothers, he had three older brothers and they were, they were into Iron Maiden and all that sort of heavy rock stuff. And they all played guitars and drums and, 
I was going to say when I was 10, I thought that was the coolest thing. If I'm honest, at 39, I still think that's the coolest thing. So, <laughs> uh, you know, we, you, we used to go around his house and we, his, his, the next brother up from him was about 16. And he had all these Iron Maiden posters in his bedroom. And, and it was just like, wow, it's like walking into some sort of forbidden realm. Yeah. And my friend started learning the drums. He's like, we're going to form a band. And I had no musical inclination or... Um, you know desire at that point but I thought well, I've got to learn an instrument because I really want to be in a band you know I want to be with my friends so my sort of journey started off as a very sort of social thing it wasn't about yeah having a calling to music but then as soon as I picked up a guitar and started strumming you know not even fretting the chords just just strumming the strings to me there, there was something very magical and powerful about that so I started learning and and I started getting deeper and deeper into it and then I really went on my own sort of journey um, mm -hmm. into music and uh and i've sort of discovered things as i've gone along i, I suppose if you're going to sort of tie me down to a, a moment when i was really sort of transfixed by something i remember again probably when i was about 14 i was watching a um top of the pops 2 and yeah. there was uh, rory gallagher was on that and he right. was doing a song called Souped Up Ford. And I'd never heard of Rory Gallagher. And all of a sudden, this guy just turns up on the screen with this beaten up Fender Stratocaster and yeah. just plays the vibe out of it. And I was thinking, wow, you know, it's like an epiphany. <laughs> like, What's he doing? How's he doing that? Yeah. And uh, I've had all those sort of little moments throughout, um, you know, throughout my musical life. And I think some of the, the musicians and artists we're going to play today have been those sort of people. Um, yeah. And that was really set me on the journey and I've just learned and I've been inspired, um, you know, when I was younger, I was inspired by watching people on TV and listening to records. And now I'm, I'm inspired by people I play with and people I see live and, and the community I'm in, the musical community I'm in. So, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's still going on. You still learn, you still discover things all the time. Yeah. Okay. So um, the, the second song that you've chosen is... Uh, Fairport Conventions, What is True? So this is from 1975 album Rising for the Moon. So this is sort of after their, um, I suppose, their, their most famous peak, if you like, is all sort of unhalfbricking and, and Legion Leaf, isn't it? Uh, last album for Sandy Denny, apparently. Um, yeah. But, um, yeah, so so what, what was it about this song in particular? I, I mean, obviously, there's Sandy Denny's pure, beautiful, gorgeous voice um but yeah what, what was it that drew you to this song why has it been uh troubling your yeah. ears lately well i mean this, this was another one and i think i'm glad you pointed out how it was because it is you know dare i say it, the uncool fairport convention record it's the record that if you talk to a fairport convention fan they go why you know that's you know that's not of interest you know that was the golden period had gone and this was them hanging on to the remnants of what they were mm. but again there's a, there's a story behind this in that I, i've been recording a, an album with some welsh friends of mine yeah June and mike and they they live in south wales and um I go and visit them when I can, when we're allowed to. I go and visit them uh, and we rehearse and re we've been recording this album. And Mike is an avid um, LP collector, vinyl collector. He's got a fantastic yeah. collection. And if he gets something on CD or, you know, his CD is redundant, he'll he'll give me the CD. So the last yeah. time I was there in the summer, he said, oh, do you want all these CDs? And he gave me a bunch of uh, Elliot Smith records. And in, mm -hmm. in the most of this was this Fairport Convention record. Yeah. 
why I, I bunged it on my CD player when I got home. And this song, What Is True, just struck me as, you know, really stood out amongst that album. And as you say, Sandy Denny's voice is absolutely exquisite. Mm-hmm. But also as a musician, the chord changes and the, the way the chord progression happens mm-hmm. um, is really interesting to me. But also it's that classic 70s. You've got like a lovely, um, I think it's a Rhodes piano. And you've got yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right at the introduction, yeah. Yeah, and it's just everything that's sort of 70s folk rock is Mm. there on this record, and it's just beautiful, and it's, you know, I think that album's quite easily dismissed, Um, but I love it. I've, I've, you know, it was on my turntable for a long time, you know, a good month, and I was, that song itself is just, just wonderful, you know, treat your ears and give it a listen. Yeah, I was um, doing a bit of research um, prior to chatting with you, and uh, apparently um, that the band are dismissed at at this point as uh, fothering port confusion (laughs) (laughs) by uh, ardent fans who, uh, (laughs) because, um, yeah, the, the the lineup changing, you know, and all that. I was listening yeah. to um, an interview with Richard Thompson actually not that long ago. I think it was on a Word in Your Ear podcast, and uh, he was saying that you know that, that they had uh, was it 1970, 1971. They, they, there was the the the, the minibus crash where they lost a member of the band and 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 another of their entourage and how that really affected them and they didn't really get over it which meant that it sort of that kind of informed how things fell apart later on but even still I mean I I think I think um people are doing them a bit of a disservice having having heard this song um Mm. Yeah, actually, yeah. they were they were still they were still pretty good in 1975 when it came to doing this. Absolutely, Definitely. I think if I could if I could um, if I could make an album uh, as good as that, and I mean, it's produced by Glyn John, I think as well, who who has um, you know engineered a lot of the Rolling Stones and engineered slash produced Let It Be. So you know yeah. he knew what he was doing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I don't mind admitting my mistakes, but the the guitarist, I think you mentioned, um, you know, the Fotheringay, you know, Fairport. It was a sort of a, a by se- the mid seventies, this mixture of all these folk groups. Yeah. And the guitarist on it is a guy called Jerry Donahue, who's a fantastic yeah. guitarist and American who who's based in Britain. And, yeah. Uh, I mean, I first came across him. He, he used to play with Elton John in the nineties, and I remember seeing him through that but i actually met him once um at yeah. a guitar convention and again i don't mind admitting my mistakes i was a, i was really young i was again i was about 14 15 and i just remember watching him thinking he was amazing but i didn't know who he was and i you know i bought a cd and shook his hand but if i only i'd known he'd played with Fairfield, and, you know how much i'd like stuff later on yeah i would have paid more attention silver tongues are speaking long and hard
So that was a bit of a Fairport convention, um, a very underestimated song. Uh, we'll move on shortly to uh, something a bit more recent, which is uh, Buck, Meek and Candle. But um, before that, I want to talk, talk a bit more about um, your your music um, still. Um, I get a, I get the impression from, from listening to your stuff that you, you like a good story and, and setting is really important as part of this. I mean, you've, you've based a whole album around your, your hometown of, of Southend-on-Sea. Um, has place always been important as part of your songwriting or is that something that's emerged more recently? I think, uh, I think place is very important in my songwriting and I think it's been very important in my songwriting for quite some time. Yeah. Um, why, I, I don't know. I think, I think there's a number of reasons. I think, firstly... I think when you're when you're trying to set a scene in a song, mm-hmm. I think environment is really important, and I find that much. I I like listening to songs that yeah. set set an environment and place a, the listener somewhere instantly. Yeah, and so for me that that's the most enjoyable and engaging form that I like to write in. Yeah. But also a lot of my songs are based on observation. A lot of what I write about is is about real life and mm. seeing people do things. And I may dress that up in characters and fictional scenes, but actually everything is what I've seen and learned and observed. Mm. Um, and so for me, yeah, place, place is, is very important. And I think, you know, there's a great uh, quote Bob Dylan used to say that give a man a mask and he'll tell the truth. Um, and I think, you know, as a songwriter that's a really interesting point because actually you can you can convey ideas and your thoughts and your experiences through the medium of other people and through environment yeah um, and yeah and it's dramatic you can make environments dramatic or as mundane as you like and i think mm. that's a, that's that's something that's interesting to me as a songwriter yeah i mean there's i think is it the um the title track of off your album Cliff Town, you've got um, the mon- mundanity of people working in the co-op, unaware mm-hmm. that they're standing above buried kings and yeah. people who've been um, part of huge wars and things like that. So y- y- you've managed to uh, blend the mundane and the fascinating <laughs> together in, in, a, in a single song. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm particularly drawn to that because i live in uh, medway and um pretty much every singer songwriter member of a band uh, there's almost there's almost a contractual obligation to to name drop um a pub in chatham or a, 
or an event that happened in Rochester or just just the, the river. Um, uh, I can't think of a single uh, musician from around here who, who hasn't done that. <laughs> so that, that I, I feel I feel um, there's something of an affinity between what you do and, and a, a lot of the music that that, that comes from from around here. And I'm, um, I, yeah, I, I do find that fascinating, particularly at the moment. It, more widely, you've got um, there seems to be a, a movement towards um, songs or entire albums about place. I'm, I mean, um, public service broad public service broadcasting have just released an album about Berlin, and they've done one about uh, Welsh mining, and there, there seems to be a, a movement towards concentrating on on place. Um, is that something you found, or? Yeah, I think I, I think they're, they're they're really interesting comments, Stephen. Because I think, yeah, I, I I don't know what makes me want to write about place, and I mm. think you're right. There are there are a lot of people looking at place. I don't know whether it's you know things that have happened in the last few years. People are looking inward and looking at where they are, and um, you know, because we we do live in a in a, a time of internationalism. You know, yeah. if we really wanted to, pandemic aside, we could be in Australia. <laughs> days if you really yeah. wanted to. yeah and, and and maybe it's a reaction to people trying to slow down life and mm -hmm. look at the granular and look at um detail rather than you know you know in a social media age with forever you know what's the next story there's always another story coming up you know mm. news 24 yeah. 7 and maybe mm. it's a way of just slowing things down and, and looking at things. And, th and that comment you made about my song, Cliff Town, I think it's kind of touching on that. It's that, you know, you've, you've got the mundane. We all just live a very normal existence, or most of us do. And yeah. that's a 21st century phenomenon. You know, we've, we've had world wars that have, you know, our grandparents lived in a very tumultuous time. And, mm. you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of disaster and turmoil and, and we'd live relatively quiet lives yeah and and it's 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 maybe people are reflecting on the past and sort of trying to make sense or understand yeah what's gone on before that actually makes us mm. lucky to live a a fairly quiet life yeah yeah because you you yourself have a podcast um don't you uh, called uh clifftown and that's you've been sort of exploring um your your local area talking to, to poets and uh local historians and all kinds of things uh, what how's that experience been for you in, in um what yeah so i think i mean I, I the clifftown podcast i think was for me was a reaction and i don't know whether you get this in chatham and rochester i mean i've been to both and rochester chatham seem very interesting places with lots going on so i <laughs> but in south end you know, people just say, oh, what's what's there in South End? You know, it's just suburbia. It's just, you know, it's just people <laughs> taking their kids to school. It's people doing office jobs. It's the, the kids stacking the shelves in the co-op before they go to university. It's that sort of town. Mm. But it's not, it's not. There's so much going on here under the under the rocks and the soil. And so my podcast was kind of a reaction to that and trying to dig out and tease out tales and stories from the past and the present about where we are and trying mm. to flag it and say look there is things here to consider and there are things here to pay attention to and and going to your question of how i found it i mean it's been a lifesaver for me i started in december 2020 when we were deep yeah. in a lockdown 
Yeah. And all through the early part of this year, the winter of 2010, 20, it's been, I, I've lived in a submarine almost in my flat, you know, and I, look out, I, I live opposite a park, you know, in January, February, everything's foggy and there's no one walking around because no one's allowed out. And there I am making my podcast and, you know, yeah. interviewing people over Zoom and pulling all these things together. And it, it kept me sane and it was a really yeah. positive, healthy thing, I think, for me. So, yeah, I loved it. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Oh, brilliant brilliant yeah i would very much recommend um that once you finish listening to this podcast uh head over to matt's uh yeah cliff town podcast and, and listen to to, to 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 all of those episodes um let's move on to um the third song from your selection which is uh buck meek candle i, I think um what inspired me to sort of ask you those questions about place was candle um seems to have a, a story to it and a, and a sense of place i mean it's set in america it's a, a sort of a, a a story about um a, a long journey up highway number nine and um there's a sense of separation and a distance between uh two lovers um what i i know nothing about buck meek uh, as i i didn't about uh, the third the first band so what was it about this song that that uh, made you choose that and what what else can you tell me about um buck meek yeah so so buck i came across buck meek uh he's the guitarist and songwriter in a band called big thief yeah who are really excuse the pun they're big at the moment they're they're a really happening folk rock band yeah and they're one of those bands that every album they release i just love i just think oh this is brilliant it's well produced the songs are really strong and then Buck Meek released this album and I buy all my records from my friend uh, in South Records, which is Southend's uh, one and only premier record shop. And uh, he had a copy of it and I took it. It was one of those, Stephen, I'm sure when you're in a record shop, you just take a punt and you think, you know what? Yeah. I'm just going to buy it. And I listened to it and I, I'm just blown away by it. Again, his voice is very odd. It's very fractured. It's very plaintive. And that, I really find that interesting. Mm -hmm. and his lyrics are very evocative. We're talking about place again. He instantly, yeah. you listen to that song, you're somewhere, you know, bang, you're, you're, you're straight into a, a novelistic sort of um, yeah. uh, tale. Um, and yeah, and I just think this is a great record. And I think if you really like old country, something that's, that's pushing the boundaries, this mm -hmm. is definitely. Innocence is a life in your doing your thing with your arm out your window of highway night when it's too much to handle burn me a candle if you don't have a candle let me burn on your mind the song of the siren caught up with the downwind my nose started bleeding by the second note heaven is a motel with a telephone seashell check outs at 11 and don't ask for more time did you rise Same thing. 
chosen um, a, a track called Claire by Dougie Paul, who I gather is from Nashville. And um, listening to it, it was uh, very lingering and, and dreamlike, um, sort of magically capturing the feeling of being love and not believing you could possibly be in such a, a wonderful place. And that sort of magical glow that you have in the early stages of a relationship. And um, what was it... Um, um, what was it that drew you to, towards this particular song? Yeah, so again, I, I bought this uh, Dougie Paul record. It's his, his most recent record. Um, on Based on a review, I read a, a music review, so it still works. You know, music reviews yeah. still work. And <laughs> I think what struck me about Dougie Paul is that he's he's a country and Western, ostensibly a country and Western artist. <clears throat> but he's he's the way he records is really different. So I play pedal steel guitar. Mm-hmm. In this pedal steel guitar on the record is put through like a pitch shifter, and right. all the organs are put put through pitch shifters. So it's a very strange sounding album, and it doesn't yeah. really sound very country and western. It almost sounds like a an eighties pop record. Mm. Yeah, um, but, but not only in regards to production, also the way he writes songs. Um, they're in that sort of country and western tradition of you know heartbreak you know working class um experience american yeah. work experience but he's he's very modern in his outtakes so the, the first track on this album is called vaping on the job and it's about people <laughs> who can do jobs that they can vape at the same time and it's yeah you know, gives them some sort of freedom yeah and with claire i think it's a great it's a fantastic breakup album but mm-hmm. I think it mentions mobile phones and wine in the fridge. It's a yeah. very modern take on it. And I, I, I love it. And it's just, you know, I, I, I really struggled to know which song to pick to play on this um, mm. episode with you, Stephen. But this one seemed a really good one to introduce people to Dougie Paul. Next, you've chosen. 
chosen Iron and Wine, Swans and the Swimming. I first came across uh, Iron and Wine uh, thanks to collaborations with Calexico, who are one of my uh, my favourite bands ever, although I have to admit I've got quite a few favourite bands ever. Um, there's always something really elegiac and infinitely sad about him. Um, what What was it? What is it about Iron and Wine that you like? Apparently his name's Samuel Irving Bean in real life. Yeah, that's the guy, <laughs> Sam Bean. I think, I, 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 you know, we were talking about, you know, earlier on we were talking about moments where you have a real sort of epiphany moment, a real inspiration. Yeah. And for me, Iron and Wine was one of those. So back in 2003, I was living in Sheffield and I had an old CD, radio, cassette tape boombox, you know, back, yeah. back when you could still get them. And I listen. I used to listen to Bob Harris. Bob Harris used to do a great late night show on a Saturday, mm-hmm. um, sort of a, a midnight to two a.m. or eleven p.m. to two a.m. Yeah. And he used to play such amazing music, and it just everything used to inspire me. And and Iron and Wine had just released their first album, and um, there's a there's a track on that album called "Sons Are Like Birds." I think that it's called "Over the Mountain," and and it's a five minute song, and it just absolutely captivated me, and it was. You know, it's one in the morning, I'm lying in bed, sort of half asleep. And this yeah. beautiful, like you say, sort of sad, sorrowful, life-affirming noise came across mm. the radio. And I have been an absolute fan ever since. And I think, you, you know, he that EP he did with Calexico in the rains, what, 2008 maybe, mm. I reckon? Yeah. Remains one of my most treasured records. I, I love it. And, and I mm. think everything... You know, I sound like a true fan here, but I think everything he did up to sort of 2010, 11, I would, you know, I'd die on a hill for it. It's all absolutely fantastic. And he's he's gone different ways since then, but I love it all. I still I still rate him as a songwriter. I still rate him as a performer. Mm. And um, and this song, The Swans and the Swimming, is, is it was a rare track when I first heard it. I, I got it on a bonus CD with his second album. Mm. our endless number days and it was a special bonus cd that you could get when it came out and it just again it's a place it's so beautiful about yeah it feels about and it's it, it, it to me it seems like it's an elderly lady going down to a, a pond you mm-hmm. know where she go with her husband and she's remembering the swans and swimming and it's just um yeah it just blows me away every time quiet profound beauty from um, 
iron and wine we're going uh, back in time quite a bit now um the minor birds it's my time now the minor birds i wasn't really familiar with until i looked them up and discovered that they're like one of those one of those bands that spawned a million bands that you actually have heard of so you've got um buffalo springfield and steppenwolf and um people responsible for some of the biggest funk hits of all time <laughs> so um yeah i mean we, we we i think we're going to be hearing from uh, a member of the minor birds later on without issuing too many spoiler alerts um how did you how did you come across the minor birds yeah this is a really good story Stephen. i might i might spoil your uh, spoil your surprise but um again this is something i've been listening to recently because so I, do, I obviously gig a lot when we're allowed and there I have a lot of light long drives through the night and if I'm lucky I'm usually accompanied by my double bass player um, yeah a very good man and friend called Paul Ambrose and the sort of stuff we talk about Stephen is it, you you know the mind boggles after six hours in a car of a day, you know, <laughs> we end up talking about the most ludicrous inane stuff and I can't remember what got us on the discussion, but Paul was talking about this this bass player, this funk artist called Rick James. Yeah. And Paul's going, Rick James this and Rick James that. And I was like, who is this Rick James? I've never heard of Rick James. <laughs> and Paul goes, well, he was in a band with Neil Young. And I was like, what? A funk, funk bass player in a band with Neil Young? No, that can't be right. And then and then he saw, yeah, he wrote he wrote that bass bit from MC Hammer's Can't Touch This. And I was like, what are you talking about? So, so MC Hammer's Can't Touch This was a massive hit when I was a kid. I mean, that that was on every radio, uh, you know, sort of in the early 90s. So that do, 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 do. Yeah, exactly. That is a Rick James song. Right. So I, I don't believe you, Paul. So I dropped him <laughs> off at his house and I got back to mine. It was about 1.30, quarter to two in the morning. I went on YouTube and I typed in Rick James. And I think it's a song called Super Freak. Oh, sure yeah, of course. There, yeah. There is this guy with, you know, this this Afro-Caribbean guy with long silver hair in a red sequin jumpsuit playing the bass riff to Can't Touch This in 1979. And he's got sort of sprinkles, sparkles on his cheek. And I was like, I, I was very tired at the time. But again, <laughs> it was just like, what on earth is this? It was like, I'd entered a new realm of the fantastic, you know. And it, he's just this funk legend that I'd never heard of. And I, and I was like, I can't believe that he was in a band with Neil Young. And sure enough, back in the mid-60s, before Neil Young joined... Um, uh, Buffalo Springfield and then joined Crosby Stills Nash and Young became Neil Young that mm. we all know and love he was in this band called the Minor Birds with Rick James and it's I listened and they didn't they only did a couple of tracks but my god they're fantastic so mm. yeah. yeah get your round glasses on your hippie hippie beads and yeah kick out to this
minor birds um, we'll have a bit of Nick Drake uh, Pink Moon and Nick Drake is like the the epitome of uh, singers and songwriters isn't he um, uh, what, what is it about Nick Drake that particularly appeals to you uh, I'm I'm guessing he looms quite large um, given given your style of music um, but, but tell me about a bit about your relationship with him yeah, I, I've not had the, I've not had a long relationship with Nick Drake. I, I, I bought Five Leaves Left. I mean, most mm-hmm. people know, you know, I'm sure if they're listening to this podcast, they're going to be into music. They're going to know Nick Drake only released three albums in his lifetime. Yeah. And the first Five Leaves Left, I bought out of a duty when I was younger. I thought I've got to own this record. Everyone says this is amazing, and I think I was a bit too young for it when I first heard it because I just it just didn't it didn't speak to me at all and I really struggled with it and then I took another chance and bought Brighter Later the second record mm. which I think historically he didn't like he hated as a you know as the person who made it but to me I loved it and I think it, it you can tell Bell and Sebastian and people like that have stolen yeah. some of that um, mm. texture from that record and I suddenly got back into it yeah I so think I I think the second album, Brighter Later, is definitely more um, more accessible, isn't it? Yeah, um, much more poppy, I think. Mm, yeah, all those all those string parts, things like "Under the Chime of the City Clock" and all the all the uh, backing vocals on "Poor Boy" and things like that. It's absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. But um, it, it's a great record. It's just a great mm. record. I think "Brighter Later" has got to be one of my top ten records. Mm. Um, and then I and then I bought "Pink Moon." Um, actually quite a lot longer after after the I listened to the first two to death um, and it was one of those situations where you know it's just money it's like I can't afford to buy more records so why would you spend it on Pink Moon you know if you've mm. already got two great records and then I bought Pink Moon years ago and um, and it's just him and a guitar and the odd bit of piano and it's just yeah. the most the, the, the fullest most complete articulation I think of a, of an artist Mm. that you can find and pink moon is just magical you know mm. every time i hear it everything goes quiet for me i have to stop what i'm doing and go mm. what's what's going on here beautiful yeah yeah because he he was in quite a, a bad way by the time he did pink moon wasn't he i mean he, i think he sort of just um he recorded it and just surreptitiously dropped it off at the record label and with no, with no fanfare at all it's just saying whatever yeah. But it, it is, it's, um, and then unfortunately, a few, not that long afterwards, he, he, he passed away. But um, yeah, it's, it's a much more uh, Spartan sound than the previous two albums, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, whole al- the whole album is, is great. And, it, and I think it's barely 30 minutes. I think it runs to mm, about 20 yeah. minutes. Yeah, very short. It's, it's beautiful. It's really, yeah. you know, treat yourself if you've not got it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So Pink Moon, I, I looked it up. Um, so all, all the different uh, full moons have different names through the year. And a Pink Moon is apparently named after uh, pink flowers called flocks, which bloom in the springtime. So it's nothing to do with the colour of the moon itself. It's more to do with the, the colour of plants that are around at, the, at that time of year in April. So there you go. Fascinating fact of the day. <laughs> Let's... Uh... <laughs> Let's uh, listen to a bit of Pink Moon by uh, Nick Drake. 
saw it written and I saw it say So following on from um, Pink Moon by Nick Drake, we've got uh, Itasca and A's Lament. These, this, songs like this are why I like doing these podcasts, because I get to hear music I would never, ever come across otherwise. Um, so I'm really, I'm really, really grateful that you've, uh, you've chosen this, because I, I think I'll be marching out and uh, getting my hands on on a copy of Itasca's complete works, whatever they may be shortly. Um, how did you come by um, Itasca and A's Lament? Yeah. So again, when you when you contacted me about this, Steve, you said, you know, pick, pick things that you're listening to at the moment and, and so on and so forth. So I sort of rifled through what I, what I had in my collection and, and I came across Itasca because Itasca, I bought that um, probably last summer, 2020, maybe the summer before time kind yeah. of has moved range recently yeah but um Itasca, the record comes out on a or is out on a record label called the paradise of bachelors which right. is a i think a carolina in america based label and they release a lot of new guitar music so people like steve gunn and and um uh gun club which are to name but two if mm. you're into that sort of stuff michael chapman who recently passed away he oh yeah paradise batches so it's a very much a new it's kind of like a new sub pop kind of label it's 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 curated a very specific sound of mm. uh, of america i suppose and a tasker came out and i saw it and, and the front cover is beguiling so it's it's of a, a petite woman in double denim standing outside like a mexican adobe sort of um ranch on the yeah. wall stucco uh wall and i read the back blurb on it and and she's a singer-songwriter just an acoustic female singer-songwriter very fragile sounds very much like Joni mitchell and yeah. it was recorded in this mexican or arizonan um hut this ranch yeah and she went and there's a pedal steel on it and there's some guitar and there's lots of guitar and a bit of piano and it's it's not it's all very fractured it's not very slick mm. but there's something ethereal about it and i love it and, and i love records that have a sense we've talked about a sense of place within the actual music but when you yeah. look at a sleeve and they're like this has been recorded in an old church or it's been recorded yeah you know here and and, and you get a sense of the, the whole packaging mm. you just get a the place and the, the recording and and this Tasca record spring is exactly like this. you you hear it and you just imagine her sitting mm. in this very spartan room with a, just a you know bed and yeah. um, 
you know, you it's almost like a Cezanne painting, you know, this sort of wicker <laughs> chair, sparse bed and a jug of tea on the side and yeah. her with her Martin guitar. That's what it speaks to me mm. about. And yeah, I love it. I really love yeah. it. It feels like it's there's this big story that this song's sort of hinting at that you don't really you want to know more. Like there's a little verse in the night two years before I'd seen you as a peaceful man. Now you walk into that deep night with a shadow on your face. You think, what's happened to him? Oh, yeah, what's going it's on? It's very enigmatic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really, absolutely beautiful. Let's uh, let's listen to bit of A's Lament by Itasca. I'm standing by that screen door Ghost in my head I'm watching you smiling way back when Picture of the man days before like a storm the feeling it came to me in the night two years before I had seen you as peaceful man now you walk into the deep end with a shadow on your face In the darkness you'll return Feeling in an empty room Texas man I just want you to be Tasker, we're uh, stepping back to a live recording from 1971 at the Shakespeare Theatre, Stratford, Connecticut. Uh, not not Warwickshire, Connecticut. And this is Neil Young uh, singing "Tell Me Why," which was originally found on his After the Gold Rush album. So we've um, we've, we've mentioned Neil Young already, uh, thanks to his uh, appearance in the Minor Birds. Um, yeah, nineteen. I, I did, recently did a podcast about nineteen seventy one and and all the all the really good albums that came out then. Uh, it was it was a, a remarkable time, and I'm quite jealous I wasn't around for it. Um, so yeah, um, tell me about this. This this is this is a recently released album. It was recorded in nineteen seventy one, but the, the the album itself has only just been released. So. Uh, what 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 drew you towards uh, this this recording of Tell Me Why? Yeah, so I, I think I'm a, I'm a big. I, I, it goes without saying I'm I'm a big fan of Neil Young, and mm. my music is inspired and influenced by him. I, he's just a, a phenomenal songwriter, and his longevity is is in itself uh, admirable. Um, and I think really, I think when when you've got an artist like Neil Young or Bob Dylan or dare I say, people like Madonna or even, you know, pop stars. Mm-hmm. I think it's very hard for them to keep reinventing and, and um, coming up with something new. Yeah. And I 
I've not I've sort of strayed away from Neil's last sort of ten or twelve albums. Um, but and, he does. And, it's very difficult to keep up with him because he keeps just churning them out, doesn't he? Absolutely, yeah. And, and that's that's his that's his way. You know, he sort of he he releases an album every year, if or maybe two albums a year. Yeah. And and he you know he just does what he does, and and I think that's great. And and for me, I, I think you know like with everything you you spend all your hard-earned cash on records and then you you know the next record lets you down a bit and you're like oh i don't mm. quite like that one as much and then the next one after that lets you down a bit and then you're like oh do you know what i think i'm gonna stop buying these records yeah. and i got Neil young I, I think i sort of stopped buying Neil young records i hope he's not listening but i stopped <laughs> buying them in sort of 2005 and yeah. i've not and i've sort of i've definitely keep in touch with him and i i find out what he's doing and then he started releasing all these archive series. Mm. And uh, there's a chap that lives three doors down from me. And um, he wanted to sell some guitars. So he invited me round. And we were looking at these guitars. And he said, oh, I'm a big Neil Young fan. He said, have you listened to the new record he's brought out, this Young Shakespeare? And it's one of the archive releases. Mm -hmm. And it's, as you said, uh, Stephen, it's, it, was you know, it was recorded in 1971. But it's been released in the last few months. So I listened to it and it was just like putting on an old coat that fits you well. And or, you know, or you get into your own bed after being sleeping on someone's floor on tour for a little while. And mm. just Neil Young singing Tell Me Why with just him and his acoustic guitar in 1971 mm. is everything I love about music. You know, mm. that man doing what he did in the early 70s, the late 60s, the mid 70s. And it's just like an old friend just hearing him sing that song with his voice and his guitar playing mm. to a bunch of people in Connecticut in 90s. You, you can imagine the bell bottoms and the, you know, the suede <laughs> blazes and the, yeah. know, the harmonica in the pocket. It's just, yeah, and it, it's just lovely to me. So it, I, well, I listened to that album so much and I was just like, oh, mm. it's bad, isn't it, to think that you're reveling in the past of that person's career rather than mm. what they're doing at the same time. But, yeah. you know. It's beautiful. Yeah, I just I just can't get my head round that something like that is fifty years old. I know, I know. <laughs> I know. Um, yeah, it's like I was born in nineteen eighty, so fifty years old when I was born was nineteen thirty. Yeah, it's, it's, I think we're we're of similar ages, and I think I always thought um, when I was at school, fifty years was always the World War. You know, 50 yeah. years ago, yeah. well. And, and Absolutely. Head, I think, I, to be honest, Stephen, I think throughout my life, I, you know, day to day, I still live in about 1998. I still think 1998. I think that's a good place to live. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's modern to me. And I forget that 1998 is a good 25 years ago. Now. Yeah, I know. And, yeah, so when you think 50 years, I think I think World War II, Winston Churchill, Adolf Hitler. But actually 50 <laughs> years to me now, it's like the birds, Neil Young, you know, yeah. the Beatles. <laughs> yeah, the, the Beatles had already split up 50 years ago. Yeah. Oh, goodness, yeah, don't. <laughs> I didn't think of it like that. Yeah, absolute insanity. Yeah, we're talking, um, uh, we're talking Joni Mitchell's Blue, Led Zeppelin 4. Not even Led what? Zeppelin 1. No, no, no. So there you go. Yep. So let's listen to a bit of uh, Neil Young 
and uh, his uh, song from uh, Young Shakespeare, uh, Tell Me Why. Sailing hardships through broken harbors out on the waves in the night. Still a searcher must ride the dark horse racing along in his fright. Tell me why. Tell me why Is it hard to make arrangements with yourself When you're old enough to repay But young enough to sell So we're rattling towards the the end now, and uh, for the for your tenth uh, choice, you've picked uh, Paul Simon and Duncan. Um, I, I I came across you thanks to the uh, the gig at uh, the Edith May Barge, um, just just uh, on the water uh, in on the River Medway um, by. Uh, by Chatham, and uh, I was introduced to you thanks to Robert Flood. He said, "You must, you must, you must. Simply, you must listen to M.G. Balter. You must come and see his gig. He's really good." Oh, oh really? What was he like? Well, he's 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 he's, he's uh, a really good singer songwriter. Very reminiscent of Paul Simon, he said. And uh, so, um, and you've you've chosen a, a Paul Simon song. How? how how heavily does his influence rest on you? What, what, what's your relationship with, with Mr. Simon? Yeah. So my influence, Paul Simon's influence on me, I can, you know, officially confirm on your podcast, uh, is zero. Zero? Mr. Flood's got it wrong. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I think this is the thing, because I, I've never really listened to Paul Simon, beyond, obviously everything that everybody knows you can't you can't Bridge over trouble water life without, yeah. without listening to so i know all the hits and then when i started performing acoustically and doing my stuff so many people come up to me and say you sound just like paul simon yeah and, <laughs> and after a while i was like well, what's all this paul simon stuff about maybe i should listen to it <laughs> and so I bought his first album because obviously I know Graceland and you know mm. they're great songs. I, I love Graceland, so I bought this first album of Paul Simon's, and um, it's got it's got um, all the big hits on it like Cecilia and uh, not not Cecilia. What's um, uh, what's is it Fifty Ways to Leave Your Lover? I think's on this. Yes, yeah. uh, and and all those sorts of things. But anyway, there's but the album's amazing and. This song we're going to play, Duncan, and there's 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 a few others on the album, which really blew me away. Mm -hmm. um, so now I'm about twenty percent influenced by Paul Simon. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, Actually, this is really good stuff, and yeah, he's phenomenal, and I, I really like his um, narrative songwriting, and I like that it's not it's not um, it's not bombastic. It's not, you know, at the time that he was writing in the 70s and the 60s, you, I think you had a lot of peacocking and a lot of 
um, that sort of exposition of the rock star, the male rock star. Mm. Paul Simon I think, is refreshingly not that. He's refreshingly preppy and he's refreshingly intuitive and introspective yeah. about the way he writes. And mm. and that first album is is phenomenal. And this song, Duncan, is, I think, just the, you know, is a, a prime example of how to write a fantastic story song. Yeah. Again, a huge sense of yeah place and storytelling sort of. couple in the next room bound to win a prize they've been going at it all night long while i'm trying to get some sleep phenomenal yeah absolutely <laughs> so um and then there's there's um there's some sort of um flutes in there that immediately send you back to thinking about pan pipes from el condor Passa as well and, uh, and yeah it's it it's a uh, it is a yeah, beautiful song, and I, I think, yep, you've you've inspired me to go out and and um, buy a Paul Simon record, or two, or maybe even three. So um, let's let's listen to your your final uh, choice, uh, which is Duncan by Paul Simon. Couple in the next room, bound to win a prize. They've been going at it all night long. Well, I'm trying to get some sleep, but these motel walls are cheap. Lincoln Duncan is my name, and here's my song. Here's my song. My father was a fisherman, my mama was a fisherman's friend. And I was born in the boredom and the chowder. So when I reached my prime, I left my home in the Maritimes, headed down the turnpike for New England, sweet New England. So we're we're reaching the end now of our uh, time with MG Balter, and um, as is traditional when I'm uh, talking to a musician, I thought I'd ask Matt if he could pick one of his own songs for us to to listen uh, to a bit of. And um, what is the song that you've chosen um, for us to listen to? Yeah, so I've chosen the the first track off my new album, uh, mm-hmm. Cliff Town very kindly been talking about um and it's called midnight movies and i've chosen this one simply because it's quite a good introduction to what i do so if people are listening and they've not heard me before yeah track one side one is always a good place to to start absolutely yeah brilliant so uh, what what was it the what's the story behind this song how how did it come to be written yeah it, it was a song so it was written a long time ago um, and mm. I've had it in my back pocket for a long time, but it was one of those songs that I'd written or as I was writing, I wasn't sure if I liked it or not. And you get that a lot and you think, Oh, is this going to, is this going to come out nice or is this <laughs> going to be one that's thrown away? And this one thankfully came out quite nice. And it's really about, again, it's, it's a, it's a scene setter for the album. 
because it talks about Southend as a, um, you know, Southend is a is a strange place in a way. You know, being in Rochester and, and Chatham, Stephen, you might identify this, but Southend is very seaside. It's a lot of neon, lots yeah. of donut spelt the wrong way, lots of <laughs> lots of ice cream, lots of seagulls, lots of East Londoners in the summer yeah. having a good time. Yeah, and and at night it's full of. You know, a friend actually, a friend said to me once, South End, something might just happen. He said, you go out to, uh, <laughs> of the line, South End, something might just happen. You don't know what it might be. It might be good. It might be bad. But there's a danger that something, something might happen. could happen. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this song is about that, really. It's, it's, it's sort of it's setting up South End as a magical place, a place mm. where something might happen, you know, where boys spill out onto the street you know in the winter months and it's yeah. you know and they're all looking for the you know in, in the neon lights and that was the sort of image i wanted to create and it's and the the, the person singing the song the, the character is sort of looking around the people for for someone he's lost and mm. when they can find that person again and and all of this is going on in this suburb, you know, this quiet suburbia. So there, you've got the neon flashes down on the seafront where everyone goes wild, mm. and then you've got quiet houses, and it's and it's how those two interplay between each other. Brilliant. Okay, let's hear a bit of that right now. Thanks very much, MG Balter. Um, absolute pleasure talking to you. And uh, yeah, everyone should a get your album. Uh, Clifftown and B, listen to your podcast series uh, called Clifftown again. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me, Stephen. Thank you. These thoughts, they would bury you if you offered them out loud. Your love song is too old to sing, too late for broken words, your heart covered in stains. Oh, So there you have it, 10 songs in the key of M.G. Balter. I don't need to say I hope you enjoyed it, you'd have to have a heart of granite to not enjoy it. I'll be back sooner or later with 10 more songs in the key of something, or someone, or other else in the very near future. In the meantime, have a marvellous few days and nights, till we meet again. And cheap, and I still yearn. I still.